Welcome to the Get the Knack podcast. I am your host, Jerry Knack, and I am joined by a very special guest, a friend that I made a few years ago at a book signing event. He's an author. He publishes a magazine, and he's really, really big into prehistoric creatures, dinosaurs, science gone wrong, that kind of thing. Please welcome to the program, Mike Isola. Mike, how are you? Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's uh, something we talked about uh, almost from the moment we met at the Emeryville, mm-hmm. California, Barnes & Noble, <laughs> when we were there for that, that book signing event with uh, with K.M. Riley. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've kept in touch over the years, and we finally got you on the show. Glad to be here. Long overdue, but uh, I, I definitely understand. Life you know, life gets in the way for us all, so it's uh, glad, glad we're making it happen. Absolutely, know? and you're in Pittsburgh, California, which is in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. I am recently mm-hmm. moved to uh, Ocean Shores, Washington, from uh, the San Joaquin Valley. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, nice. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when we met, we were talking about books. We were talking about fiction and storytelling and the publishing world. <laughs> Tell uh, tell my seventeen listeners uh, what you're working on these days. I'm working on. Uh, I, I I recently just had a book um, called Apex come out. Uh, came out uh, on August thirtieth. Um, you know, you know, it's another book. I, I I consider all my books to be you know like prehistoric thrillers. Um, and and I, I think the best way over the last couple of years, I've I've tried to figure out a, a good way to describe it to people and. And, you know, I, I've, I've come up with this little tagline, which is, you know, you know, I consider my books to be um, books with teeth, claws and plenty of people getting eaten. So um, that's kind of what I constitute my my books to be. And, um, you know, with, you know, without going into too much detail, the story is basically about two entrepreneurs. They set up a convention called Prehistoric Con, and it's supposed to be this celebration of all things prehistoric. And there's you know, there's authors there who write in that genre. There's movie directors, there's screenwriters, there's all sorts of people that, um, you know, work in that kind of industry. And lo and behold, there's a madman who, um, his goal was to resurrect an ancient species called Megalania. Uh, it was a, was a giant, um, you, you, you can basically think of it as like a giant Komodo dragon that lived in Australia. Yeah. Cause we need, about- we need to bring those back. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> don't ask me how i come up with the stuff you we, know it's we just, can't bring you, the friendly cuddly the- dinosaurs back we got to bring those back yeah great good idea mike <laughs> no, but um but um yeah so it, it's about this guy and he's the building owner and it had been his goal to bring this creature back but you know he realizes that he can't bring the actual creature back so what he does is he looks to the modern day world and looks to creatures of you know, that are currently on, on planet Earth, such as the Komodo dragons, and he, he works on going to town on them. And through science and through his dealings on the dark web, acquiring massive Komodo dragons and um, growth hormones and steroids, he's able to feed these dragons over the years and get them up to um, one of my dragons was like 600 pounds. And um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's basically it. You know, I mean, obviously in the book, I go into more details on um, how he did it. But um, it's just basically a story about there's this convention going on and all these people are then trapped inside the building and this madman releases these creatures in the building and, you know, it's it's about 24 hours of mayhem, people running around, getting eaten, dying, and, you know, eventually they manage to get out and get, get free. But, there, but there's a lot of stuff that goes down in between 
when the convention first starts and when they finally finally get out to freedom. You know, the the fresh actually takes place in San Francisco too. I I said it in in Golden Gate Park and I kind of made it up that there was a building in one little corner of the park. So took a little bit of creative liberty in that, but um. Yeah, I've, I've, I did a little creative liberty in uh, Golden Gate Park myself. I, I'd hate okay. to see if we were to take all of the books that you and I have written and come up with the body count. I, I think, <laughs> That's funny. I think, I know. you know, in this world of fiction, you and I have murdered a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it happens. I mean, I I, I usually... Uh, <laughs> it happens. I, I mean, I, I, guess, I, I guess what's more unnerving is a lot of times I take people that have kind of blown me off over the years or, you know, movie directors I've been in touch with that have blown me off or people even, I've even had some family members that we've, that my, you know, my parents and I, we've had some bad dealings with and they, they make their way into the book in a different name, but the characteristics are that person. And, um, you know, I, I usually find that even though that sounds a little sinister, it really helps to have a person that it's based after sure. because it, 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 you know, you kind of know their mannerisms, you know how they talk and you know what they would do. And yeah, yeah I think we, we've all done that right. As yeah, fiction writers, yeah. we all take something or somebody from, from life. Some of my characters mm-hmm. are like combinations, right? I have a, my first book. I have this character named Steve and he's every Jim bro you've ever met in your life. Okay. Right. <laughs> and he's all rolled yeah. up into one, one character. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, Mike, um, you know, since moving here to Washington, I discovered a show on, uh, I don't even remember which streaming service it was, called Zoo. Mm-hmm. And then there's a Definitely. new one, a network show called La Brea. Now, before we get mm-hmm. into those, I want to I want to go back in time, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so my favorite movie of all time is the 1933 King Kong. Mm-hmm. If we go back a little further, right now, the the mm-hmm. first the first true stop motion animation film is something called the Humpty Dumpty Circus from 1898. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, uh, anybody who's in storytelling knows 1902's A Trip to the Moon. Mm-hmm. But it was 1925's The Lost World that that really made Willis O'Brien a thing, right? And now mm-hmm. we we can think of three people. In, in visual storytelling, Willis O'Brien, Ray Harryhausen, and Steven Spielberg when it comes mm-hmm. to animating and bringing these creatures to life, right? Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you've got The Lost World in 1925, and then in, in 1933 you had King Kong. And mm-hmm. obviously these films have inspired people over the years. Tale of the Fox in 1930 was a direct inspiration on the fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. So when you look at this, and obviously you know Harry Hausen comes along with things like Jason and the Argonauts, and and a lot of these these fantastic movies, all the way up to Clash of the Titans. But you know, if you're like me, you were influenced as a child, right? Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. started with you know King Kong early on, and and some of the and, and Ray Harry Hausen films after that. But, you know, uh, Willis O'Brien was also famous for The Black Scorpion and, and a lot of other uh, great films of that time. What got you mm-hmm. into just, I guess, dinosaurs in general? Was it a childhood thing? Did it come along later? What um, what got you into it? Yeah, no, I, mean, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a great question. Um, I, I can't say that I was into, well, I mean, I guess I was into dinosaurs probably as a little, little child. Um, and then maybe in my early, like, you know, 
age 10, I really wasn't into it. But in my early teens, like almost like 12, tw- like around, you know, because I remember vividly, I did not see Jurassic Park. I mean, the answer to that question, basically, long story is Jurassic Park. I did not see Jurassic Park in the theater. But my aunt, who was a big dinosaur fan, and I even in, in, in one of my books in Prehistoric, I thank her for introducing me to this stuff because she's kind of I credit her as the one who, you know, kind of opened my eyes to this. But uh, in 1994, when, you know, Jurassic Park had been out for one year at that time, I never saw it in theaters, but she handed my mom and dad the uh, an old VHS cassette tape, you know, and um, I, I was 12 and I watched the movie. And, you know, pretty much after that, I was always hooked and. You know, kind of that never left me. But at that time, I didn't, I didn't, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't writing. I wasn't writing any books. I didn't have any aspirations to write. But I always liked dinosaurs, and you know. So I guess the I guess what I'm trying to say is I had no, um, like, I didn't have any any anywhere to put that creative energy. I had a big interest in this stuff, but I didn't have anywhere to put it. Um, and then it wasn't until I was in grad school. Um, around age 24 that I took up an interest to start writing and those type of movies had always been my favorite Jurassic Park uh, Congo by Michael Crichton Um, you know those those type of things kind of fostered I guess my basis for um, when I sat down to write I was like well what am I going to write that's always what I love to watch on movies so I always wanted to write a book that I wanted to see made into a movie so that's really what got me into it, Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton. And um, over the years, you know, with YouTube and stuff, I've really appreciated the movie even more because I've watched it so many times. I realized it's really a perfect movie. Every line is in, – in, in, in the movie, every line is like a great one-liner, and you couldn't have a more perfect movie, at least in my opinion. It was very um, it was very well cast. It's one of my favorite yeah. movies. I, I, I adore the, the film. Um, mm-hmm. but when you go back in time – as we were just discussing, when you go back to Willis O'Brien, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of guesswork into how the dinosaurs looked, how they moved. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, Ray Harryhausen is actually credited for informing the scientific community on, on how these creatures may have at least moved. Right. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was building models. Actually, it was his father that was building all his models. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, they were having to figure out almost in real time how these joints would work and that kind of thing. But then here comes Steven Spielberg with Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. there were a lot of paleontologists that were consulted. Uh, I think it was Jack Horner was, was one of the, the... You know your stuff good. Yeah. You know I your watched, stuff. Mike, I watched too many damn documentaries. That's, okay. that's how yeah, that no, works, you know, right? You know your stuff good. <laughs> well, you know, if I'm going to... Yeah. If I'm going to speak with uh, my friend yeah. Mike who who's into this stuff I better know what the fuck I'm talking about <laughs> so <laughs> right so Jack Horner which I'm not a mm-hmm. fan of Jack Horner to tell you the honest truth I, I think he's a mm-hmm. little far afield in, in some of his theories but he consulted on Jurassic Park and some of the, the later uh, Jurassic Park films mm-hmm. you know at some point there's this confluence of model making and creature design that blends with real science and Stan Winston. Yep. Stan mm-hmm. Winston. Absolutely. 100%. Mm-hmm. I was just watching uh, a show last night called the films that made us. And it was the, uh, mm-hmm. the episode on aliens that uh, uh, James Cameron directed. And they were okay. talking about Stan Winston's crew 
And they basically built the prototype for the alien queen in the parking lot, and it was wrapped mm-hmm. in, in black garbage bags. But they were figuring out all that puppetry, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, Stan Winston uh, definitely. And from you know, for me, Stan Winston was everything behind Pumpkinhead, mm-hmm. right? Me being the yeah, horror yeah, fanatic, definitely. right? So, mm-hmm. so do you? At what point do you find that the science and the storytelling kind of melded together? You mean for myself? <clears throat> yeah, you know when you when you we talk about science gone wrong all the time, right? And mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and Jurassic Park is the ultimate science gone wrong movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love a good science gone wrong film. So mm-hmm. for you, it, yeah, at what point, you know. I mean, how much research goes into this for you from a scientific standpoint? Do you have to study recombinant DNA and all this other shit to figure mm. out how to inform your creations? Good question. Um, I, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the Aliens movie. It's funny you mentioned that because there's so many synergies going on here. You know, for the past year and a half, I've been listening to the Aliens soundtrack this whole pandemic. So um, I love that movie. I love the soundtrack. I'm just giving a shout out to it. <laughs> hey, but, you know, um, it's one of my favorite. I love the franchise. I wrote this big yeah. blog about how the franchise went off the rails. But the it first did. the first two films did, yeah. are two of the greatest films ever made. Definitely. Definitely. I love them. Yep. Um, so in, in, in answering your question, um, you know, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, in order to tell a story like this, you know, even Michael Crichton, um, I remember, I've watched a lot of literature on him when he said, in the early eighties, he was meeting with, he was walking on the beach with, I can't remember who, but he was walking on the beach with some, I think it was like a theoretical physicist. He had, he had a lot of high friends in high places. And he said that he was working on a dinosaur book about genetics and he was waiting for the guy to laugh. And he kept, you know, showing him his story. And the guy said, Oh, you know, that will, you know, that'll probably happen in the, in, in the future. So I guess what I'm trying to say is there has to be some, what it, regardless of the science behind it, there has to be some su- suspension of belief. You know, it's like like the like the author. I mean, the, sorry, the reader has to be willing to um, suspend a little bit of belief. Otherwise, the story really can't be told. Sure. Um, you know, for myself, I have um, I have never. This is going to sound silly, but I have never so far. Um, I have never actually written a book about a dinosaur. Some of my books have been about creatures that have been created. Um, I've tried to make my books seem like they could kind of happen. Um, You know, like one of my books was called Hybrid, and there was a a prehistoric species discovered, but it was a kind of like like a small mountain lion, an ancient species, and it was like a relative of the saber-toothed tiger very small. Like I wanted to make something small that could be still alive. Well, a madman got a hold of it and he bred it with a, um, a tiger and they created this hybrid creature, um, that I, I kind of, the, 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 the animal that was discovered was called a usmilus and a tiger is a tiger. So I called my creature a, a usmiger, this kind of hybrid monstrous version. So I guess why I'm mentioning this is because I, I, I do I do do research on a lot of the creatures, um, but but some of the creatures that I've built I've had to pattern them after either modern day animals or um, or I've had to pattern them after something from the ancient past. Like I, I my not my recent book, but the one that came out before that was a book called Primal, and in that book I hypothesized that the largest ape that's ever existed uh, it was called Gigantopithecus. 
um, is still alive in, in the jungles of Vietnam. And the animal was a plant eater about a couple million years ago. And then it suddenly went extinct. It, it was a huge creature, maybe like 1200 pounds in weight, you know? So this is basically your Yeti or your abominable snowman, the myths that surround a lot of, a lot of the, the Bigfoot literature. But, um, I had to, I, I, I had to do a lot of research into, um, modern day orangutans because this animal was a relative of the orangutans. So I do do a lot of research on modern day animals. Um, I also am lucky enough to have a paleo artist who's someone that, you know, I guess a paleo artist is someone that draws art from the, from the past prehistoric past. He's my cover designer and he's really big into this stuff. And I'm always able to, you know, cause I'll be honest, the average person does not know what I'm talking about or maybe even have an interest so it's tough for me to run questions by them but but this artist who I've he's done a lot of work for me over the years um, I'm always able to run questions by him and I say hey do you think that this would work and he'll send me like a drawing on the musculature of the jaws of Gigantopithecus like the big jaw bones that made the jaw work and um, so he's a good person for me to shoot ideas off of but you know most of it's just me and doing research and hoping that it's believable enough to where the reader will take the journey with me. And, you know, you know, you know, you get, you know, you get your bad reviews, but I'm always pleased when folks write, wow, this seems like this really could happen. That's kind of my, like, that's probably the best, um, you know, the best compliment that I can get. Wow. This, I think this story could actually happen. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because, because, uh, you know, life, real life doesn't, doesn't make any damn sense, but fiction, fiction has to. Right? Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I've heard that many times. Oh yeah, and you know <laughs> yeah. it's it's kind of funny because I think the and it's it's really unfortunate that this production company really went off the rails with what they were doing because I thought that Sci-Fi Channel, Sci-Fi mm-hmm. Originals, early on was doing a great job of kind of putting on screen and visualizing a lot of the stuff you're talking about, right? Sci-Fi Channel has nothing now. Like you turn it's it on, garbage. And it's, there's, yeah, there's just nothing on. They're putting um, James Bond films on on the Sci-Fi Channel, okay? Or they right? have like a makeup. They have like a makeup creature, like a makeup artist show or something. I, I see all sorts of. Well, yeah, um, and that was a really good. It's kind of funny because it was Westmoreland that that pushed some folks out of out of a job at at, uh, at Universal, mm-hmm. um, you know, and his daughter was hosting the show, um, but. I have an affinity for Face Off because I binged it mm-hmm. while I was laying on the couch after back surgery. So, oh, um, man. okay, <laughs> yeah. So the show helped me get through through recovery. There, uh, okay. you're listening. You're listening to the Get the Knack podcast. I'm your host Jerry Knack, and I'm joined by author and magazine publisher Mike Isola. Mike and I met uh, a few years back in in Emeryville, California, at a book signing event at the Barnes and Noble there, and. Um, Mike writes all kinds of stuff about uh, science gone wrong and and uh, all kinds of different types of creatures. Um, it seems like in our conversation so far, you keep referring to these madmen who get involved in in your stories. Is is there something to that? Or I mean, obviously, you know, look, I I'm a horror fanatic and I love a good mad scientist, mm-hmm. right? And you get the ultimate and in Dr. Mm-hmm. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and you know, I'm partial to a sci-fi original called Mansquito, right? Um, yeah. You know. <laughs> Look, I love schlock horror, and funny thing is, I yeah, hated yeah, yeah. I hated *Malignant*. So go figure. Um, 
That's but funny. yeah, <laughs> but uh, it does it does seem like I mean so you, when you look at Jurassic Park right and you mm-hmm. and you look at the the Hammond character you know mm-hmm. he's he's ideological he's got this this idea there's nothing malicious about the guy whatsoever in and, the in, in in the movie I guess you know because they make him more loving in the movie and right you know, right in, right. You know, like in the book, he's not. I, I never viewed him as negative in the book, but I, I guess you could view him as like a megalomaniac or something. In the I think book. you got to be yeah. when you're when you're trying to create something like this, right? You you yeah, have to definitely. be right. Mm-hmm. So, um, but um, you know, later on, you know, the the corporate types get involved and, and start to want to mm-hmm. commercialize all the all the animals and whatnot. But mm-hmm. a lot of times in these stories, it's always a mad scientist type. It's always or a somebody, billionaire. Yeah, yeah, somebody with nefarious mm-hmm. motives, right? Is, is there somebody, mm-hmm. as we were talking at the top of the show about how, how we, we put people in our, our stories that, that we've come across in life, where, do, where does this idea of the quote-unquote madman in your stories come from? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I've ever thought about it like that. Um, no, I mean, like I said, that's a that that's a great question. I guess, I guess, I guess the answer I can think of is, um, you know, I did write a book called Primal where they did stumble upon a giant ape, and you know, per se, I've never written a dinosaur book where it's just like they walk into a rain, they walk into a forest, and there's a T Rex. You know, how, how did it get here? Well, it, it just got here. Like so the uh, like I, the land that time forgot, or the people that time forgot. Movies yeah. like that, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I guess the, the the answer to that question is, I guess I always need some conduit, like some person that's going to do this or bring this back. You need the catalyst, right? Yeah, exactly. I guess that's where they come in. Um, I never thought about it like that, but that, that, that's a great question. I feel like that's the answer, though. Right? And, and you know, yeah, there has to be a catalyst. There has to be that, mm-hmm. that triggering event that unleashes the whatever into the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because because you know it's not going to happen on its own and and that's mm-hmm. and, and and you know that kind of led me down a little bit of a road there right so when we're we're talking about the history of this kind of storytelling mm-hmm. it it starts off as we are explorers or we are travelers or whatever and we mm-hmm. we stumble upon this undiscovered country that is full of forgotten prehistoric creatures that we don't mm-hmm. we, we thought were long gone, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then it becomes later on, again, back to that confluence of science, it becomes a thing where, oh, we're gonna create some shit. Right? Mm-hmm. Whether whether it's actually let's bring back some dinosaurs or, you know, art imitates life and life imitates art. We're going to bring back the woolly mammoth because we found some DNA in freaking Siberia. Like that's going to go well. Um, Right. Those things are going to wake up and be like, Hey, I don't belong here. I'm going to wreck I'm going to wreck this place. But, but at some point, right. It becomes a scientific thing instead of a lost world or lost country kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, you know, it's funny because I've watched, you know, ever since Michael Crichton died in um, 2008, still actually still to this day, really bummed that he would only be what I think 78 today. He died at 66. It's really, it's really a bummer. He died. Um, but I've watched a lot of interviews of him on, on um, YouTube. You know, YouTube has been a great thing for catching up on interviews that I was too young to watch as a kid or just, but um, he, he talked a lot about, 
how he loved the title, you know, because he took the title for The Lost World and made that the sequel to Jurassic Park. Sure. He said he loved, you know, he loved the title and the concept of this plateau um, high atop the Venezuelan rainforest that's been cut off like a, like a mile in the air. And I love it, too. I mean, it's a it's a it's a high concept if there ever has been one. I guess what he was saying is is that the book itself wasn't executed very well. And even in the I don't know if you remember this, but even in the late nineties, early two thousands, they made a show. Um there was a show with those characters. There was a character named Challenger and I don't remember all the people's name, but it, I, I think it was on TNT. I used to watch it. It's and it's been it, attempted a couple of times, wasn't uh, yeah. like John Rice Davies in it and and some other yeah. uh, some other name mm-hmm. actors, but yeah, it's it's been attempted a couple of times, both in serial form and in in uh, and, film form, right? And it pro- probably didn't go very well. But um, no, it, no, uh, not at all. And and you know the thing about it is what cracks me up is it was written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the exactly. guy who brought us Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely yep mm-hmm. which you know my parents that's you know that's growing up that was that was their that was the you know they're not jurassic park fans but you know like growing up that that was their big thing was the sherlock holmes mysteries oh sure i mean shows. and you know i yeah. i i own a, a lot of the written material and mm-hmm. you know uh, jeremy brett uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. consider to be the greatest sherlock holmes on screen uh let's mm-hmm. talk about somebody else who died uh died very very young uh, yeah you're right yeah right mm-hmm. um so you're listening to the get the knack podcast i'm your host jerry knack and i'm joined by author and magazine publisher, Mike Isola. Mike, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, and we talked about it um, off air and right at the top of the program. So when I first moved here to Washington, we were in the process of getting our internet and cable TV and all that set up, and we were mm-hmm. looking for stuff to watch. And mm-hmm. and my oldest was visiting from Florida, and, you know, in the late evenings, we're like, okay, what are we going to watch? We discovered a show called Zoo. Right. <laughs> and talk about, you know, science gone wrong and a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and and now in the last couple of weeks, a new show called La Brea has hit the airwaves. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm gonna set aside the lousy fucking special effects in these programs. <laughs> yeah. But again, this is kind of more in your bailiwick, your neighborhood, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's it's actual at least with zoo, it's today's animals, right? It's modern day animals mm-hmm. that that you know something's gone wrong with them, and they're attacking mm-hmm. humans and and that kind of thing. And La Brea actually kind of looks like it opens a portal to a lost world. We're back to the lost world kind of concept, right? Mm-hmm. And my biggest mm-hmm. problem with both of these shows is the CGI is just absolutely freaking terrible. But you're right. Even the even the uh, sinkhole's not. Is not really convincing, <laughs> right? 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 But the yeah. the stories, the stories is what mm. I really wanted to talk about, and mm. and and it's it's interesting that the stories like this, um, almost like it's becoming like vampires, zombies, things of that nature, right? These types mm. of stories are are they they come back around? Yeah, they do. I mean, they all have their cycles, you know. Um, but um, I, I I guess for myself, I mean, I I have not checked out La Brea yet but I mean I, I mean other than just the trailer and seeing things I, I I did watch Zoo enough to see what was going on um I guess my 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 biggest complaint is always that um 
like something like Zoo, I think would have been better. I, I would have been more pumped for it, and I think it would have been better if it was just a big summer blockbuster movie, like a two-hour movie. And Fair. you know, it's almost like they make it. You know, you know, it's like Stephen King, like his Under the Dome. I think would have been better if it was just a movie instead of dragging it out and dragging it out. But um, that's what they that's what they do. You know, they they, they want their TV TV series to be long. And um, but I, I I think that Zoo would have been better as a I think it would have been more action-packed as a movie and my complaint is that you know like this is something that i try and put in my books is that when when if someone reads one of my books that they're really reading it for the creature stuff they're not really reading it for a romance there's really no romance even even people have said oh maybe you should put some romance in like i really just get right to it every book i write there's always a kill scene on the first in the first prologue someone's running from something some some exciting scene is happening and i guess my complaint with zoo and all these others is we just don't see enough creatures you watch the whole episode and maybe at the end you see the foot of a lion come into the frame and then all of a sudden bam you know you you, you got to come back the next day and watch well, that's, that's the draw of serial television, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's how yeah. it works. But no, you make you make mm-hmm. a you make a, a a really good point, right? You could tighten these things up and make them into two hour movies, and mm-hmm. you know that's my problem with the the recent show Midnight Mass. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Mike Flanagan does a does a great job with this, but you know, if you cut out all the unnecessary dialogue, you've got a two hour movie, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, it's all in the storytelling and, and, you know, I see you're very similar to me in that you write as if you're watching a movie, right? Definitely. Um, yeah. that's that, that, like, that's always my goal. I mean, you know, like my goal has still been to get something of mine, even turned into a low budget movie. Something, sure. Something. I, always, I would love to see my vampire books, you know, show up as a, you know, uh, mm-hmm. show up as a, a film or a series. And I've got a list of actresses that are, that have played my main character. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Y- you know, um, it, it's very, very interesting that, you know, these, these shows become like network television and mm-hmm. they're, they're wasted there because of the bad special effects. Because when you do yeah, see no, the creatures, no yeah, yeah, it's, it's not convincing. You don't have ILM doing the thing for yeah. you. You don't have what is uh, uh, Peter Jackson's studio uh, special effects house, um, right? You know the shoot. one I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 There, you don't have them doing the special effects for you, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. you know it, it's like these things kind of ruin it for me. But the point mm-hmm. I was trying to make about you writing as if you're watching a movie, Dan Brown writes this way. There's mm. this opening action, and this this yeah, is yeah, yeah. this is a horror movie formula, right? You get that mm. vicious, brutal kill right up front, mm-hmm. right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And Dan Brown writes that way too. There's always this action sequence in in the beginning of his books, and then it gets mm-hmm. into the character development and the world building and all that stuff, and then mm-hmm. you know you get into the story. But there's always mm-hmm. that that first thing when you open the book, start the movie, whatever it is, bang, it's right there. I mean, that's, I was going to say, that, uh, that's definitely how I love to start things off. I, I, as I've thought about it more over the years, I really do that primarily because, you know, when the books are available on Amazon and someone clicks the sample, you know, like mm. let's say they click that sample, I want them to get, I, I don't want them to have like a boring off the scene where someone's shuffling papers or I want them to be like, okay, bam, like I like creature books and bam, this is exactly what I want to read. So, you know, because I, I, a lot of times I don't even know how much of the book will be included 
how much will be in the sample. So I always sure. want that prologue to be front and center. Anyone that clicks on the inside can read that and think, okay, this this is definitely my my type of read. So. Um, See, you've yeah. thought about it a lot deeper than I have because I just think about, mm -hmm. you know, I want to grab the reader's attention from the beginning. You've actually mm -hmm. thought about it from the marketing standpoint where, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm putting this out on, on XYZ, whether it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble or, or Kobo or Smashwords or any mm -hmm. of these, and they're going to get mm -hmm. that sample. And what, what's mm -hmm. the first thing they're going to see? You've actually thought about that. I haven't gone that far with it. I just think I just mm -hmm. want to grab the reader's attention. You've thought mm -hmm. about it from that marketing standpoint. That's that's pretty smart. Yeah, I, I also wanted to say one thing about Zoo. I, I think I mentioned this to you before, but um, I'm forever grateful for Zoo, the show, because um, to this day, I do not know how, um, like, like my biggest selling book to date is, is a book called Prehistoric. It's the first in, it's a series of books. But at the, at, when I wrote it at the time, I actually didn't know that it was going to be a series of books. But it's the main character named Bick Downs, and um, what, I guess what I'm trying to say, a long story short, when Zoo came out, uh, I released my book, Prehistoric, in uh, April of 2015, and to this day, I do not know how it happened, but as I released it on Amazon, it's, it, it became a bestseller without me doing any marketing. I, I, like, you know, I, 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 I put the book up for sale, and I was about to have my big marketing campaign on a certain day when I get everyone to buy. All of a sudden, the book started to sell, sell, sell. I don't know what happened. And then before I knew it, Zoo, Zoo came out. And my book was – when you clicked on James Patterson Zoo, his book, my, my book was the number one recommended book for like two months. And that got me thousands of sales. So I, I'm forever grateful for um, that – that TV series because it really gave me a big bestseller as big as I could do within my means. And, um, I got, you know, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I got a lot of bad reviews too, because I think a lot of, <laughs> I think I, I, because, because I think a lot of people, you know, cause if you think about it, James Patterson does not write monster stuff. He writes more thrillers. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I write thrillers too. I consider them thrillers, but he doesn't write that type of stuff. So. He, he's not writing creature stuff. Yeah, so his readers, I, I, I probably got a lot of his readers, and at the time I was like, oh my god, this is terrible. I'm, I'm watching one star after one star, after one star come in. But um, yeah, I mean, in I, I hope to achieve this magic again. But in June and July of 2015, I, I made like ten thousand dollars because of I was the number one linked book to Zoo, and um, like I said, I have not been able to achieve that magic since uh, that. <laughs> But 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 that book prehistoric because it has so many sales. Whenever I make it free, I get like seven hundred and fifty downloads on day one. There's something about that book that Amazon pushes, or I don't know what it is. I've never been able to get you know I've had some success with my other books, but never to that level. So I'm like I said, I'm, I'm forever grateful for Zoo because it it, re it really gave me um, it gave me a lot of it gave me a lot of reviews, and uh, it gave me a book that. Um, I have not I have not been able to achieve that success since. <laughs> still 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 trying to get back there, you know. <laughs> well, you know, you got something to hang your hat on, but but the flip side yeah. is you've written other books, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I mm -hmm. kind of look at it this way as well. How many folks out there, you know, between you and I, we we've written, you know, um, you know, several books. Um, mm -hmm. how many folks out there haven't written any? 
and yeah, you know want yeah, to try, yeah. or mm-hmm. or have tried mm-hmm. or have, have mm-hmm. you know started and stopped and and that kind of thing i encourage any, mm-hmm. anybody who wants to try to write a book go ahead and try to write a book i mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. say you have your entire life to write your first book and about a year mm-hmm. to write your second one wow yeah no you're right yeah you're 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 100 correct I, I feel like i i guess i feel like you know going on going off on a little bit of a marketing tangent here but you know i've always been a big marketing person that's even why i started my prehistoric magazine publication to well, get- and that's how we met right i mean yeah be- because because i was trying to score just an individual signing at that particular barnes and noble and next thing you know mm-hmm. me you and km riley are getting wrapped up in this this panel discussion about fiction mm-hmm. and and book publishing and everything else and and that wasn't the original mm-hmm. intent but it was was marketing Right, mm-hmm. and I think, I think mm-hmm. what, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. and you know this because you you've you've done your own you've done your own work in this in this mm-hmm. field, and I've learned it along the way. The problem with authors today is that if you don't land a deal with one of the big five, and you're not Stephen King or Anne Rice or James Patterson or any of these folks, mm-hmm. you're doing mm-hmm. the marketing yourself. It, it, you know, you're doing quite a bit of it yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I was even going to say that it's kind of a funny thing when, you know, like in the past, whenever I've been reading a book or someone um, asks me, um, you know, who's your favorite author? I kind of always chuckle to myself because it's like the average person is not going to know who your favorite author is unless it's I mean, I, I'll be honest. I've I've told the story that I've told, you know, when folks find out that I write books, I've told them the James Patterson, the James Patterson story. And I'm amazed the amount of folks that go, who's James Patterson? And I'm thinking, geez, he's only sold like – so I guess what I'm trying to get at is to me there's only two authors that everybody knows, two authors that you could walk into any school, and that's J.K. Rowling and Stephen King. Even even Dan Brown, you could walk into a school and go, oh, uh, Dan Brown's coming today. Uh, Who? Yeah. No, you're right. So everybody's an unknown. Even even massive people are kind of unknowns, you know. Especially if you don't read that genre, right? I mean, definitely, so I definitely. couldn't I couldn't name any you know romance authors or anything. I I I could only because I'm a bookstore fanatic, right? I'm, I'm yeah 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 any bookstore you name, yeah. yeah you know the Nora Roberts and and people like that mm-hmm. I you know um that's that's interesting you that we that we bring all this stuff up when it comes to to books and that kind of thing because. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to you a, a little bit about that because, you know, when you mm-hmm. when you become an author, especially a first time, and mm-hmm. and not everybody's lucky like me, right? I I got really lucky with Trifecta Publishing House, mm-hmm. and it was the first and only query. I got a contract offer right off the bat. It ends up being That's a three, idea. yeah, it ends up being a three book deal. Yeah, and and I got really really lucky. And then you got mm-hmm. all these folks out there that rejection, 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 rejection. And then mm-hmm. in your, in, you know, you got somebody in your case, you've, you've had a modicum of success with the, mm-hmm. the written stuff, but your ultimate goal is a movie adaptation or a TV series mm-hmm. adaptation. Right. So mm-hmm. I think, I think when it comes to us storytellers, finding an audience, and mm-hmm. even if it's an audience of one, I have a cousin, my cousin, Jackie, who discovered that i i write books and i it's back to that whole who's your favorite author i think i might be her favorite author 
That's cool. <laughs> right? I mean, you're going to cool. be at least one person's favorite author. And I guarantee you, Mike, somebody out there, you are their favorite author. You know, you know, you know, it's funny. Um, I, yeah, cause I just had my book launch come and you know, my book launch went okay. It, it, it was not as good as I would have hoped, but, um, it's funny. Are, a lot they, of times are I, they ever? I know, <laughs> but, um, you know, you know, like a lot of times when I think to myself, I think, okay, I do my magazine. I have my guaranteed buyers. I buy it. I get my, you know, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel like people that do have success have a big family and a network of friends to say, Hey, you know, cause I make my book 99 cents on day one. And, and it, it, it would be really powerful if you knew a hundred people that would download on day one, like that would be massive. Like if you sure. had that going forward, um, I, I, I have like 38 book sales. So that's about what I can do on day one. And it, sadly this time it was not enough to put it on Amazon bestseller list on Amazon. So, um, I have to go back to the drawing board, figure, figure some things out, but I'm always looking to figure out, boy, you know, if you can just figure a way to get like 50 book sales on day one. Um, but you know, like, like I've looked up a lot of people that have had success. Like there, like there's a guy named, um, I don't know if you heard of him, but his name is AG Riddle and he, he, he's written a book. Uh, he's written many books, um, called like the Atlantis gene and some of them, have, but he's a self-published guy and he sold like several million books. And, you know, like a lot of times I think back to like, how did this guy do this? That he published a book in 2013 and now here he is like seven or eight books later, self-published. He sold like 3 million books. I but, think it's because, you know, you know, the book is really good, but I think it's because on day one, he had a big network of folks to, um, turn to, you know, but here's Facebook the thing. Look at, look at ready player one, right? This thing, Definitely. this thing did not have a lot of commercial success when it was first released. Some big time mm. Hollywood type read the book, loved it, decided to turn it into a movie. And then all of a sudden everybody and their brother had to buy the fucking book. Exactly. And then they go back and get it. Yep. yep. Right. So, so how to achieve success in, in fiction writing is different for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've only sold a few hundred books. I can't say that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I did hit, hit that, that Amazon bestseller uh, category, mm -hmm. you know, a couple times. And, um, you know, but what does that, that actually mean? You, you look at, you look at some folks out in the world today that are, that are buying cases of books so they can make the, the New York Times bestseller list. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to game the system. There's, Definitely. there's, Right. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on with this. The bottom line is, and this is the advice I give you or anybody else, um, is just write the stories you want to write. Write the stories 100%. that you need to tell. And you, Mikey Sola, you need to tell these science gone wrong creature thrillers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. Um, I, I have, you know, even though it sounds like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll sell my soul to the devil. I, I've never stopped writing. Um, like, I've never stopped writing this genre. I've started my first book came out in 11 and you know, to this day, I think I should have produced more books, but I feel like now I got a good system down and I'm, I'm going to go a little faster now. So Mike I'm, life I'm, gets in the I'm way my now. friend, right? I mean, yep. family and, and everything Definitely. else. I, I think I, Definitely. you know, I've, I've written, mm -hmm. I've written four. The fourth one is not published yet, but it will be mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a plan for that. And I've written a couple mm -hmm. of short stories and, you know, to go mm -hmm. with the three, three published books I've been ghostwriting. So I've, I've ghostwritten mm -hmm. a few books. Um, so we all I, think we should I, be I'd producing. Be the, uh, mm -hmm. I'd be curious to hear the ghostwriting. Uh, how's that been going? Has that been a fun, uh, endeavor to do yeah it's it's a totally different thing and it's uh mm -hmm. it's a learning experience 
right? Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit when I when I worked in sports, when I worked in football. Uh, I did some shorter stuff, you know, thousand word pieces here and there. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're only as good as that interview, right? Yeah. It's only mm-hmm. as good. And, and I've been lucky to, to have some folks, and obviously I can't tell you what I've written, but mm-hmm. um, but I've been lucky enough to have some folks that, that were visionary, that were um, – they were natural storytellers themselves, but they mm-hmm. didn't – they, they weren't able to put it in book form, right? So mm-hmm. so the, the concepts were there, the the um, the stories were there. They just needed somebody to, to put them in, into good sentence and narrative form. So, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's stuff out in the world that you be – I think people would be stunned to know – Never mind the the kind of nonfiction that I've been ghostwriting, but I think I think people will be stunned to know how much of their favorite fiction is ghostwritten. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Um, plenty of uh, you know, like uh, I was a big Clive Cussler fan until he died, and then uh, well, I mean, still am, but I, I I always wondered about those guys too. Like, did they, you know, did 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 they really lean? Even though it wasn't ghostwritten, but did they really lean on the co-author and that their name was just on top? Sure. You know, the big, the big mark, you know, like, you know, cause look at Tom Clancy, his, I think his stuff continues on, even though he's long gone. And, um, you know, even Robert Ludlum, all those guys, it, it always seems like they're the face of the franchise, but someone else is actually churning out the words. Sure. And you uh, get to a certain point where you become a cottage industry, right? So definitely, definitely. you're more worried about doing the, the CBS Sunday morning, good morning America interview. You're more worried about doing the book tour and the David Letterman. I say David Letterman that I'm aging myself. Holy shit. You're, you're doing the Jimmy. The <laughs> yeah. You're doing the Jimmy Fallon interview, right? You're doing, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're doing that kind of thing as opposed to yeah. actually writing the damn book. I mean, there's, mm. there's a school of thought that, uh, Dan Brown's origin was ghostwritten. Um, that, Interesting. I, I never heard that. Okay. I, yeah. I, I read that. Yeah. I never heard that. Right. Uh, Scarlet wow. Gospels by Clive Barker may have been ghostwritten, which, mm. which is kind of disappointing. Um, so a lot of stuff, when you get to a certain point, all right, especially when you look at some of these these romance authors who've been doing it for fifty years and they're they're in their eighties at this point. I mean, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. right. And and it goes back to what you just said a second ago. We all feel like we should have churned out more by this point. I didn't get my mm-hmm. first book published until I was 47, 48 years old. So mm-hmm. you know, and I tell myself all the time, like, have you ever seen those things online? If you could go back and tell your younger self something, what mm-hmm. would you say? Mine mm-hmm. would be collect and save and keep everything you've ever written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've got short stories. I've got letters. I've got all kinds of stuff I wrote, you know, mm-hmm. going back to grammar school that I mm-hmm. I didn't keep. Mm-hmm. And, and okay. I, Interesting. Yeah. And I would say, you know, from the moment you start putting sentences together and telling any kind of stories and, you know, maybe there's people out there who journal, maybe there's people out there who write diaries, whatever it is, keep mm-hmm. the shit you write, keep it mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. You never know. I tell my 15 year old son who's, who's an artist and, and he hates his early stuff. I mean, even his, his stuff when, you know, he was six, seven, eight years old. I'm like, no, keep that stuff. Cause when you're on display at the Met, then I can pull out the old stuff from when you were six and say, look, he had talent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there, there was a, there, there was an author, um, you know, that's n- another guy who's probably sold 10 million books, but he's still kind of unknown. His, his name is like Steve Barry. 
and um, he writes like historical thrillers, I guess. Um, but um, yeah, he he basically said, don't ever throw away your words because you never know when you may need them or pull a scene from there or, um, you know, just anything. I mean, I mean, I have I'm actually amazed when I go back into my computer. I'm amazed at how long I've been I, I've been working on writing in some capacity since about. Out in 2007, I first started writing, but I, I started writing nonfiction stuff at that point. I, I hadn't write. I started writing novels in 2009, but as I go back in some of my old laptops, I'm amazed at how many manuscripts I have that go on to like page 180, and then they stop, and then I moved on to something else, and mm-hmm. and then and, and then I look at the the idea, and I go, you know, I, I could use that. I guess the funny thing is, I feel like I've matured enough now to realize. Maybe it's easier just to write a new book because sometimes editing each sentence is more tiring than writing a new sentence. So, um, and I'll give you a different you example, know? right? So, yeah. in 2011, I sit down to write my first novel, and I get about 2,000 okay. words into it, and mm-hmm. it's it's written from third person, but I don't know what the hell mm-hmm. I'm doing. I send it to mm-hmm. my cousin Jason, who's an aspiring writer himself, and he mm-hmm. looks at it in this feedback he sends me. He's like, you might want to think about changing your perspective. Uh, you're head hopping. You're doing all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I looked at it and I thought, you know what? I'm going to put this away. I don't know mm-hmm. what the hell I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, I pulled it out. I took all of his advice. I wrote it from first person instead okay. of third. Uh-huh. And it took off. And that wow, becomes okay. my first book, right? So five, and it took me a year five, to write it. Five years. Five yeah, years, yeah, yeah. right? Kind of mm-hmm. kind of similar, right? That you started mm-hmm. something, you're like, eh. But when you look at, when you go back and you look at it, and you'll be like, hey, wait a minute. There's something here. I can save mm-hmm. this. I can salvage this. And that's mm-hmm. what happened with my first one. So mm-hmm. I guess my point to the whole thing and back to the, the telling any other aspiring writer is we all get there. Our own way mm-hmm. in our own time. There's no roadmap. Yeah. No, no, mm-hmm. no roadmap. Right, you're right. I, I agree with um, you 100%. No roadmap whatsoever, Mike. I, I, I feel like I feel like I've never been a. This is probably why I like writing, and you know, like I like I own my own little you know my own little small business publishing company. I, I guess this is why I enjoy doing this stuff, which is I've never been a big like about breaking the law, but. I guess I've never liked to do things cookie cutter. Like I, I like that writing has no roadmap and you know, like there's really no, like if someone were to say, Hey, how do you become a bestseller? There's really no road. You can watch all the YouTube videos you want tutorials. Sure. No, one, nobody could teach you. Same with how to get a movie made. Nobody could teach you. And even the, even the big publishers, if, if they knew why a book, certain book takes off and another book takes off, they would release those type of books all the time. So no one really knows what is going to catch or why or how um, I guess the main thing is always to be working on more stuff. Like I, um, you know, it's amazing. Like my goal has been a movie and over the years, it, you know, I'm not gonna lie. It's been very discouraging to see my God, look at all my messages to these companies on Facebook. Um, well, anyways, I have a lot of Twitter. Um, I, I'm actually on Twitter a lot and that's how I keep in touch with a lot sure. of, uh, I, keep in touch with you probably get a kick out of this but i keep in touch with a lot of the people that created sharknado and um <laughs> look if sharknado can get made what the fuck's wrong with us right i, I, mean, I mean somebody but, actually um, thought that was a bankable idea and how many of those things have they made six or seven of them for crying out they, loud they made six of them and i've been 
I've been working real hard talking to uh, the, the, the production company is the asylum talking to them about, Hey, I'd love for you guys to turn one of my books into a movie. I know it's not big budget stuff, but it'd be a great start. Well, anyways, long story short in 2019, after like, you know, these are, you know, this takes like a year of, of Twitter. I'm just going to call it like Twitter courting, courting someone on Twitter. Sure. I finally got a call from uh, Anthony Ferrante, who was the director of, um, he was the director of Sharknado, all of them, all six of them. He, you know, he called me and um, I, I feel like to this day, he only called me because um, I'm from Pittsburgh and he's from Antioch. So ah. maybe he felt, maybe he felt a, a local, you know, he lives down in LA now, but. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, is that these phone calls that I have gotten and these emails that I've gotten, they, they keep me going for a long time. Like that was 2019. I got that call and he looked at my stuff and I sent him a big box. This was before the pandemic began. And he said, you got to write some more stuff that's in an easier to film location. Some of your locations are going to be really expensive and so that's when I came up with my apex, which was a ju- just a monster story in a in a in a building, you know. Sure. Um, but those conversations, although they've been few and far between, they've been very encouraging to me. Like they keep me going. Like, wow, I, I just talked to a guy who actually is a director. I, I better get going back on my stuff because they keep asking you, "What else do you have?" Okay, no, no, no I don't like that. Uh, what else do you have? What else do you have? So. It's funny you, you always, say that. Uh, my friend know, Marie, who who is a published author um, under the same umbrella that, that I was originally published under, she yeah. says the same thing. You just got to mm-hmm. write and produce and put it out there. That yeah, you know, and they get to the next. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have this 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 canon of work. You have to have this body of work that that you can put out there. I've I've had an actual conversation uh, along the similar lines as you have, not as substantive, but it, it was just bad timing. Right for the for that individual, mm-hmm. so uh, it's it's something that I'll uh, I'll revisit. But I think it, it it really does boil down to writing and telling the stories that we want to tell the ones that are in our mm-hmm. head right so you, you know i've written three vampire stories four actually the one that, that's coming um i have the idea in my head for one more unrelated outside of that series and my wife keeps telling me no more vampires stop with the damn vampires do something else but the problem is this next vampire story is based on an irish vampire legend is stuck in my head i have to get it out right yeah so only a writer could understand that really kind of yeah and and it's like the way i the way i work is kind of chronologically right so these things Mm -hmm. are like queued up in my brain Mm-hmm. So I've got to get that out. I've written a couple of short stories here and there that you know that I haven't that that I tried to get published with, uh, you know, like a science fiction magazine or whatever, and got rejected. But mm-hmm. the the bottom line is those stories came out of my, my head when they were supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, I would encourage, just like you know, I would encourage you, I would encourage anybody else who's who you know don't chase the market because mm-hmm. I learned a long time ago. When it comes to social media, don't chase teenagers. Mm. Don't chase the book market. Write the stories that you need to tell. A million percent. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I I feel like the easy answer to that is because even if you did, like, let's say you did have the book, the movie deal come through and all the stars align, you know, it would take years. You would still have to spend all that time in that universe. So it should be a universe that you are fine being in 
if nothing happens or if something happens. I mean, you know, it's going to take a long time. So if you're writing something that is not really you're passionate about, um, you know, it's almost like a, like a lot of times I keep thinking to myself, like, why do I do this? Why do I write these type of books? A lot of times I think, why do I write period? But but then I think, well, why do I write these creature books? I feel like the easy answer is because I'll be honest, um, I've been very disappointed with what I've seen creature stuff lately um even the new jurassic world dominion i don't know if i'm really looking forward to it you know i i wasn't uh i, I didn't really enjoy the the last fallen kingdom and um i guess i'm always trying to write the book that i would like to see as a movie and because hollywood doesn't take any more new ideas all they do is remake stephen king and remake his stuff again and remake it again um I I just continue writing what I would love to see as a movie, and I feel like the movies aren't giving it to me, so I have to go out and write what I would like to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, really, the last good creature movie that I saw was before the pandemic was a movie called uh, Crawl. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That I, wasn't I, bad at all. Did, I, did, I actually uh, enjoyed uh, that. Yeah, you saw it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 you know, like to me, like. Every year that there's been a – like in 2015, there was a Jurassic World movie. So, you know, like the whole year I wait for it. You know, in 2018, there was another Jurassic World movie. There was also The Meg in 2018. And, you know, like I look forward to all these movies. But but something like Crawl, that – like the reason why that movie to me seems so good is because I, that caught me completely off guard. I had no expectations for it. Same. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I and, it was one of those things where you you saw it build up, you know, the the hype yeah. ahead of time. But mm -hmm. when I fired it up on the streaming service, I think it was HBO Max or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, it's a Friday night. It's a Saturday night. I want to watch something different, something I I haven't seen yet. Um, you know, let let's check that out. And I was pleasantly surprised, right? Oh, 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 also. I was just going to say, you know, you know, you mentioned Sci-Fi Channel at the beginning of this. I wish that you would turn on Sci-Fi Channel and see more stuff like that. Like you just bam, like you turn it on and th there's and, something great. And to that's watch. what what was there in the beginning, even with dumb shit like Python, right? And and exactly. and stuff like that. I mean, there was they they had this stable of actors that they were putting in all of their films, and they had this one production company that was making all of these films, and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden it stopped. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they went stupid. Mm -hmm. and, and I just, you know, I think they lost track of, of why they existed in the first place. And, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe they thought they were too niche. Right. Maybe they were they thought mm -hmm. they were too much uh, for people like me and you and not yeah. for the not for the masses. Right. Because I, I, I don't ever see those type of movies on. I mean, like when no. I was a kid in, in the early 2000s, I turn on sci fi all the time. There was a different even though they were terrible, you know, like you laughed at them. They, they were on. I don't see them on at all no, anymore. No. And, you yeah. know, things like, uh, again, like, I mean, like Python, um, spiders, like about mm -hmm. the, the giant spiders in the Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. You know, again, I mentioned it before. My favorite is Mansquito, right? There you go. Uh, <laughs> stuff like ice spiders and, you know, just dumb shit. But they were well done, right? For mm -hmm. what they were, they were, they were pretty well done films. Mm -hmm. So... Mike, I got to ask you from a from a storytelling standpoint, and, mm -hmm. and as we talked about it, as you know, science is informing the storytelling more than ever, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think is next? Because at some point, the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World films, they're going to run their course, right? 
what, mm-hmm. do you, what do you think is next in this genre? Well, um, you know, I, the sh- I would love to say that my books are next, but <laughs> I well, so I would say I the same thing about vampires, right? And uh, I can't, you know, I can't. Uh, it's been a slow, it's been a slow process. One tweet or one retweet after another over the course of years to this production company, but. Um, yeah, I mean, on, on a more serious note, I feel like for Jurassic Park, they're they're, they're probably going to go back and do like, I would love to see the origin story of where of how John Hamm, you know, because when you read the book, I'm, I'm I'm actually reading Jurassic Park again for the third time in my life, taking notes, reading it, how things are done, and um, I love everything about it. I, I love the origins of how John Hammond went out and raised the money with venture capital, and how he went and traveled around with a little elephant, and he wowed people with the new technology that he had. So I think it'd be really cool to have an origin story on how Jurassic Park was built and founded. And, you Mm. you know, there could be plenty of deaths around the building of these enclosures and I'm sure there could be plenty of excitement. I guess, I guess the only thing that I would, I mean, I would love to see it and I feel like it could be a good Netflix show. I guess the only thing that I would fear is that once again, it probably would be a better movie because it, you know, once they drag it out, then it becomes about other things, other than creatures. And but, um, you know, I, I, at least for myself, I guess I would hope that that's kind of where that would go. Um, you know, it, it, and, and I, I, I follow a lot of YouTubers that talk about Jurassic Park for years, and they've all wished for the same thing that there'll be an origin story. You know, sometimes you got to go back to go forward, right? And I think, I think, you know. What I tried to do with my stories, I tried to go back to the origins of the lore, right? Mm-hmm. The, the mythology, mm-hmm. the, uh, the vampires. Yeah, yeah, and and go back to you know the the beginning rather mm-hmm. than rather than add something new to it. I I felt a need to go back to the basics, so. Mm-hmm. So that would be the the question that I would ask you is, you know, we always talk about this, especially now in the horror genre when when you're looking at franchises, right? Halloween Kills just came out. And so the, the question always is, what are you adding to the narrative? So when you look at your own stories, aside from them mm-hmm. being the stories you want to tell, mm-hmm. what is Mike Isola adding to the narrative? What makes your I mean, stories hope, different? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I hope you know people learn things about different creatures that may have existed. Um, you know, like I said, sometimes my books are not. Sometimes my books are based on some type of animal that was thought to be extinct, and you know, it's brought back, but it's obviously come back angry. And hopefully, people <laughs> learn. You know, hopefully, people learn about extinct animals. Um, you know, I always have. I always have some. You know that you know. There's always some moment where you know, like so many of these characters are. Um, there's so much of myself in a lot of these characters. You know, like just the persistence and um, you know the drive and the will to just do this every day. Because I'll be honest, you feel like you feel like you don't. I mean, I guess it goes back to what we talked about. You don't you don't publish enough, but um, it feels like you just work on these things and then nothing ever happens, and then you're just working, 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 and. And then eventually, you know, the book comes out and it's, it's amazing. You know, you hold it in your hand. But, um, you know, a lot of my characters in my books, it's, it's just all about persistence, grit, uh, determination, 
um, you know, like, I mean, like I said, re- you know, re- really for myself, the, the, like the big word is persistence to just keep at it. And a lot of my characters, same thing, you know, they just got to keep at it, whatever, whatever they're doing, keep at it, stay the course and that have stick to itiveness. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, I mean, in, in the whole process of that, I, I, I hope to tell a thrilling tale that, you know, I mean, I'm always hoping that folks learn a few things here and there. I've sure. never been big on, um, you know, per se, like, well, I'm going to load it up with all these facts. I, I, I like to try and keep it moving. Um, but, you know, it, I, I still want folks to learn things. But, but, at the end of the, but at the end of the day, it's entertainment. So a lot of yeah. times my wife, you know, because she always gives – I have a couple editors that I send it to, but she always gives it the first good read. And she'll say, this is moving way too slow. You got to get rid of this stuff. And I always trust her. I always delete it, you know. Well, that's um, the thing I always liked about Dan Brown, right? Mm-hmm. He kept right, moving, yeah. but you learned along the way, right? Definitely, definitely. You know, whatever definitely. it was, you learned about the Freemasons. You learned about how a pope was made. You learned about you know all this all this history. You mm-hmm. were, you were being educated, but you didn't realize you were being educated. Mm-hmm. His his book, uh, the Lost Symbol. I know, I know that it's now. I think it's now being made into a TV series. Yes, it is. Um, like to me, that book was really, even though even though that's not a creature book, that book was really big to me personally in 2010 because in 2010 I still hadn't published a book yet, but I was heavily into writing some of my books, and that that really served. And in fact, I, I know for a fact that that idea of bouncing around from um, one perspective to the next that came from seeing what he did with that. Like, wow. Um, we just don't stay with one character. We go with many. Consequently, it's led to like an editing nightmare. Sometimes I'm like, damn, there's like so many perspectives. I don't know what the hell people are doing. A lot of times my wife will say, what, what are these folks doing? And I'll say, I, I don't know. <laughs> let me like, you know, like, uh, let me, let me think about it. And, and it'll, it'll, it'll come to me exactly what they're doing. See, now but, we're back to Stephen King, right? Because, because <laughs> I, I, you know. I love Stephen King. He's one of my favorites uh, of all time. And he doesn't plot. I think. I think he just no, writes. and neither do I. But but that's yeah, no, I don't either. That's where the comparison <laughs> ends. Um, yeah. The thing about <laughs> Stephen King, and especially if you read stuff like Salem's Lot and Needful mm-hmm. Things, Stephen King mm-hmm. has this ability to get you to care about a lot of characters. Definitely, definitely. No, no, nobody does. Like even Michael no. Crichton, he had he he had great concepts, but his characters were kind of dry. So you're right. Yeah, I mean, go back and read St- Salem's Lot. I I just read Needful yeah. Things, you know, for the second time recently. He has this way of getting you to care about mm-hmm. like a whole cadre of people, right? Like twenty, mm-hmm. twenty five right. people that people frequent the lunch counter, right? You care about mm-hmm. all of them. So mm-hmm. later on, when he kills them off, you're like, oh, they got Steve. It hurts. Oh shit, they got they got Bill. Oh. Right, you actually <laughs> care. Yes, it hurts. Thank you. That's a yeah, that's yeah. That, right. It it hurts, right? And it's, it hurts. It, it might only be for a moment, but it hurts. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and that's a great thing about that. So maybe maybe go back and, and look at that because that that's something for me, I, I kind of focus around anywhere from two to five people in my stories. I don't go beyond okay. that because I don't know how mm-hmm. to get you to give a shit about two dozen people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, you, you know, it's funny. Like right now, I'm reading Jurassic Park, and uh, I, I, 
I feel like being a writer has ruined it for me because I read the books differently and that I look and <laughs> I go... Don't you, though? I watch yeah, TV I, different. I watch movies yeah. different. The whole thing. I, I, like, I read and I go, God, okay, that's how, you know, like Crichton, that's how he killed someone with a slashing claw. Okay, I, I want to write that down so when I'm working on my book, I see my notes. I see... I don't have time to go back and find it. So I have my... I have, like, pages of draft... I have, like, pages of Crichton notes and James Rollins and other people I read... But it ruins it for me because I read very slow. I may only read like four pages because I may t- I may take heavy notes. So mm. it's almost like it's it's kind of taken the enjoyment away and made it more like a it's, it's scholarship. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a homework assignment. I have the annotated H.P. Lovecraft, the most recent one, and <laughs> wow. I spend my wow. Okay, wow. Yeah, I spend more time reading the fucking anecdotes than I do the actual <laughs> stories. Right, wow, the annotations. Wow. I'm like, what? What the hell's going on in the story? I have no freaking idea. But I know it's based in Massachusetts. Okay, mm-hmm. and I know mm-hmm. what the inspiration for the the uh, you know the reference or the the location or whatever. I know all of that, but I have no earthly idea what the hell's mm-hmm. going on in the story. So if I want to mm-hmm. go back and read Lovecraft, I'm gonna have to read the clean one, the smooth one mm-hmm. that doesn't have annotations mm-hmm. so I can enjoy the story. So similar, mm-hmm. right? Similar thing. It, it's once you get into this, it's mm-hmm. very difficult. Where's that line of demarcation, right? Where, where yeah, is no, that? You're right. I, I'm the movie watcher for fun. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. the movie watcher. Cause I'm tearing apart this story and I'm finding all the plot holes and the bad dialogue yeah. and the, the whatever's same thing with books, right? You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're reading it. You're like, you groan at something. Oh, I would have wrote that mm-hmm. different. I would have done mm-hmm. something different in this spot or, or, you know, mm-hmm. you're like, there's a plot hole here and I don't like it. Right. Same, mm-hmm. similar mm-hmm. thing. No, you're right. right. But at what point like, do you stop doing that and actually go back to reading books and watching movies and TV shows for the entertainment value? Not because you're a storyteller picking shit apart. It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I was just going to say on a side note real quick. Um, once I'm done with Jurassic Park, I was looking at my bookshelf and my, my wife has this book called Skeleton Crew by Stephen King, which is like a collection of short stories. And one of them, one of them is The Mist. Yep. And now, 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 now I've seen The Mist movie on i i think i saw it on sci-fi back when they used to show sci-fi stuff like 10 years ago <laughs> um and i really liked it i found it chilling but i've never read the story so i said you know what this is the only kind of creature type stephen king i've read some stephen king before i mean i love him i, I wish i had more time to read the bibles that he writes the 1700 page stands and all this stuff i just don't have the time right but um i'm, I'm gonna go back and read the mist because just because i want to see how Stephen King did this kind of creature stuff. Um, so I'm, I think it's like 140 pages. I'm going to plot out some time and, um, you know, go back and read that and see, you know, see if I can learn some stuff on that. I've got another one for you. Read Dean Koontz's Phantoms. Okay. Uh, I've read some Dean Koontz. I've never heard of the one Phantom. Is it? Yeah. Is Phantoms a, is my Phantom? favorite Dean Koontz. And okay. it, it's, uh, it's about the ancient enemy. And, um, but very, very much, uh, don't watch the movie with Liv Shriver, Schreiber and, uh, and Ben Affleck. It's a terrible fucking movie. But, mm-hmm. but read the book. It's my favorite Dean Koontz book. He's my favorite author. Um, but this, this particular story is, is 
fantastic and mm-hmm. it's chilling mm-hmm. and there are creatures in it and there's all kinds of phantom okay yeah wow. phantoms yep so check that out so mike <laughs> um let's uh let's kind of wrap up the show here sure, and yeah. uh and let's uh let's talk a little bit kind of just the future of storytelling in general because you look at stuff like like midnight mass that just came out um you know mm-hmm. limited series chapel wait is on epics that's based on a stephen king short story which is a a prequel to salem's lot um, mm. you know, like you mentioned, you've got a more Jurassic Park stories coming out. Um, mm. and, mm. and just, just, you know, books in general, right? Unfortunately, there's a supply chain problem and, and people are having trouble bringing books to market right now, but just mm. kind of where are we with storytelling in general? I, I, I think storytelling and it, and again, it has been in with the advent of the streaming services and these these limited series or things like Stranger Things and um, you know things of that nature. Mm-hmm. I think storytelling right now is very very healthy. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I I, I feel like the pandemic has been, you know, a place. I mean, like you know, it's basically basically uh, before the pandemic, I did not know anything about publishing audiobooks. I always wanted mm. to do it. And then I found out about this platform called ACX, and yep. you know, even, even though they take a lot, and I'll be honest, the author and the narrator kind of get screwed a little bit. It's still been a good platform, and um, over the last year, this one—I've uh, had a couple other narrators, but the one main narrator has brought all my books to life, all my back books, and I've watched that process. And you know, I've enjoyed doing the process with him, where he sends me the edits. Sorry, he sends me the footage, and I listen to it, and I let him know if there's an error or anything. And, um, so I guess what I'm saying is, is that I feel like I learned how to do that over the pandemic. And I think people are listening to more audiobooks and looking for more of an escape because let's face it, the news is atrocious. Oh my God. And, and the bad thing is I don't, not even just the pandemic, just politics in general. I don't know whenever, when things are ever going to calm down again. You know, I mean, like I said, I, I hope I'm wrong, but it, it, it is nice to have an escape to me. To me, being a good writer is, I think, what Dan Brown said, which is, you become a good writer when you turn the internet off, <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless you need research. <laughs> That's the you know? truth. And I mean, to me, the, the to me, the internet is destroy the destroyer of writing because um, you waste so much time. Like my my best writing has actually come at work, at, at jobs, even even when I'm waiting for like my wife or something and I'll be writing in the car and I'll put my phone in the back of the car and I'll sit in the passenger seat and type and I have no internet connection. If I need the internet, my phone is there, but my phone is out of reach from me and I'm just sitting in the passenger seat. That's actually where most of my books have been written without the internet. But, you know, obviously I have it if I need it, but um, yeah, the, the internet is YouTube. I mean, I mean, I watch way too much stock stuff. I, I follow a lot of financial stuff. I, I, I learn stuff, but, um, there's just so much wasted time in the day. And, um, you know, you, us you'd, think writers, in, you'd think in the pandemic, we would have written 20 books, right? In the I last know. 18 months. I, I had I a friend know. of mine. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, cause, cause, uh, you know, I was, I was in between jobs or careers or whatever for about a year. And uh, mm. a friend of mine is like, have you written like 10 books so far? I'm like, no, I barely <laughs> finished one and yeah, I've written yeah, a couple yeah. of short stories. I got to send you the one short story. I think you might like it. It's, it's a bit of a creature feature. Uh, okay. it's, it's called the Barca Lounge Lizard. Okay, um, I, I I could definitely put it in my publication, Prehistoric Magazine, Ooh. if you want. Uh, happy to, happy to, uh, actually, I got to get your email so I can. Yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. They, you, you know, basically over the last year, I've also 
it's been an interesting endeavor, but I've, I've also started a little publisher called Primal Publishing where I've, yeah. I've, I've, published, I've published other authors' books as well. And um, I'll send you the Barker Lounge Lizard. Yeah, I think I think yeah, you'll yeah. like it. It's a it's a bit yeah, of a, yeah. a suburban creature feature. It's a short story. Okay. Uh, I couldn't even sure. tell you how many words off the top of my head, but I'll okay. uh, I'll email it to you. Um, yeah, well, that sounds cool. Yeah, Mike, this has been a fantastic, fascinating, enlightening mm-hmm. discussion. This has been great. Mm-hmm. I miss, I miss seeing you. I know I only met you once, but I I, I really did enjoy uh, talking at that bookstore that one time. I I, I mean I. I I don't have a lot of folks that I could talk books with. You know, my wife, she gets tired of hearing all this nonsense. Well, you got to come up here and do your freaking Bigfoot research up here. <laughs> I mean, we were driving up here when we were looking for places to live. And, and you know, yeah. yeah, when we start looking at, uh, you know, north of Crescent City and you get into mm-hmm. Oregon and Washington, and everybody's into Sasquatch and Bigfoot and everything else. You got to come mm-hmm. up here and research your creature shit. Seriously. I mean, you know. There's mm-hmm. because we're back to that lost world thing, right? You don't yeah, know yeah, what the no, hell right. is it. I've got deer, I've got coyote, I've got <clears throat> raccoons, and I have bears in my neighborhood. Okay, mm-hmm. where where mm-hmm. I live here in Washington, so we we're the perfect place for you to come research your <laughs> creature stories. So come visit, plenty, come on up. There's plenty of Bigfoot sightings or supposed Bigfoot sightings in Washington. So I, I, I've seen all the YouTube stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> there's, there's side of the road, uh, attractions and that kind of thing. And Bigfoot museums <laughs> and there's tchotchkes and yeah, all yeah, kinds yeah. of shit you can get. You gotta, you, you gotta come up, Mike, uh, yeah. your open it's invitation. It's a zoology place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's 100%. Funny. Mike, I want to thank funny. you for, uh, you know, yeah. being, uh, being first of all, patient and, and waiting mm-hmm. to come on the show. Um, uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, Jerry. Thanks a lot. I look forward to keeping in touch and uh, seeing you on Twitter and, you know, hopefully we can, we can rendezvous one of these days again and do it, you know? Yeah. And, and do one of these, uh, do one of these crazy podcasts in person. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. So Sounds that, good. Yeah, yeah. That's going to do it for this edition of the Get the Knack podcast. I want to thank my very, very special guest, author and magazine publisher, Mike Isola. We will catch you next week. And I got it wrong last week. We're going to get it right this week. Next week, Mark London Williams. He's an author and he's also an entertainment reporter. He's going to be on the show next week. We haven't had him on in quite a while. So that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll see you next time.